I hope everyone's well, inshallah. Good to have you here. Hope you're in good and good health and safe. I ask Allah to bless this time for us, inshallah. Continuing with Zad al fi ikhtisar of Imam al Hajjawi, we have today the chapter of Bab Sajudu Sahu, the chapter pertaining to the prostrations of forgetfulness. And you may find that whilst doing the chapter, whilst going through it, it gets a bit difficult and it causes you to spin a bit. This is natural. It happens to many people because it's quite a difficult topic. But inshallah, we'll break it down as simply as we can. And we'll try to cover all bases. So you have a good holistic understanding of it by Allah's permission. So starting definition-wise, linguistically, what is sahu? What is this uh, forgetfulness? In the Arabic language, it is the carelessness of the heart, basically forgetting things. And technically, in the Sharia, it's sajdatan yasjaduhuma al-musalli, two prostrations that the one who is praying will do. In order to remove the shortcomings and mistakes that happened in the person's prayer, sahwan, due to not paying attention or due to not concentrating. And this could be in terms of ziyada, in terms of an increase the mistake, or in terms of a nuqsan, in terms of a decrease, or in terms of shak, in terms of doubt. Um, the ulama, they mentioned a side point, that sajudu sahwu, or sahwu in general, uh, the word sahwu comes in the Quran and Sunnah in two ways. One is blameworthy, and that is where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions it with the preposition an, aynun, an. So woe to those from amongst those who are praying that they are, with regards to their prayers, negligent, careless. And the carelessness here is blameworthy because it's a carelessness pertaining to not establishing the prayers, how they should be established. Whereas in the language, in the Sharia, if it comes with, with the word fi, asahu fi salah, instead of an salah, then fee is not blameworthy because this is what happened to the Prophet وسلم, in some cases, that the natural disposition of uh, being careless as being part of a human attribute took place. طيب. The dabit fi salah. What is the dabit? What is the uh, determining factor of which salah sajudu sahu is applicable to? The dabit is that it's for every prayer that has a ruku and sujood. Every prayer that has ruku and sujood, the sujood sahu is applicable to those prayers. The author Al Hijabi, may Allah have mercy upon him, he says in the first sentence, Yushra'u li ziyadatin wa naqsin wa shakkin. Yushra' here means it's legislated, legislated as an obligation. Li ziyadatin, for an increase in the salah, wa naqsin, or a decrease in the salah, wa shakkin, or a doubt in the salah. The author, he then says, Not in a mistake which is done intentionally. Because the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, he said in Sahih Muslim, If one of you forgets in the Salah, then let him prostrate two prostrations. So the Hadith mentioned, if one of you forgets, not if one of you does it intentionally. So if somebody leaves out intentionally a rukan, a pillar, that I hope you've memorized from the previous class, or a wajibat, or 
So if he leaves out a rukun or a wajib, then this will invalidate the salah if it's left out intentionally, right? And if it's left out unintentionally, then this is the chapter which tells us how to deal with those situations. And with regards to leaving out a sunnah intentionally, then there's nothing upon the person in terms of how it affects the salah. However, the person is going to lose from reward. And as we always remind ourselves that the sunnah, they help us to better our reward with Allah Azawajal and to beautify our salah. So we shouldn't be quick to leave them out if we are un, if we are able to do them. So the author, he says, The sujood sahu it's to be done in the obligatory salah as well as the nafal salah. And where do we get this from? We get this from the previous hadith in Sahih Muslim that if one of you is forgetful in his prayer, then let him prostrate two prostrations. So the prayer that was mentioned here was am, okay? It was a general prayer. It didn't specify whether it was obligatory, nor did it specify whether it was a nafal prayer. So the sujood al-sahu is applicable to both types of prayer. The author, he says, So whenever a person increases an action from the actions which are from the salah, so whenever a person increases an action, and this action is from the actions of the prayer, qiyaman, whether that is standing, or or sitting, or or the bowing, the ruku, or sujudan, or the prostration, amdan, on purpose, the person increases these actions, batalat, then the salah becomes invalid, becomes void. Wasahwan yasjudulahu. But if these actions take place from the salah and increase or decrease, etc., okay, then a sujood sahwun, the prostration of forgetfulness, can be made to correct what has taken place. So the author he says, If the person increases a rak'ah in the salah, a whole unit in the salah, and he doesn't realize until he finishes from the prayer, then what he has to do, he has to make two prostrations, sujood asahu. Example, the extra rakah was not realized until the person, he finished the prayer. So instead of praying four, he prayed five, okay? And he made the sleem and he only realized or was told about it after the salah. So in this situation, a person makes two prostrations after the salam, after the taslim. Why? Because in Bukhari and Muslim, from the hadith of Abdullah ibn Masood, the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, he said, or it was mentioned about him, anna Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, khamsan, that the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, he prayed dhuhr with five raka'ah instead of four raka'at. It was said to the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, have you increased in the salah? So the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said, wa why do you ask that? They said, قَالْ صَلَيْتَ خَمْسًا You have prayed five. So then the Prophet ﷺ, he prayed uh, two prostrations after having made the taslim. Okay? So here in the situation with the author mentioned that a person had increased araka and he didn't know until after the salah. So what he does, as we mentioned in the hadith, that he makes two prostrations after having made the taslim. And if the person knows or recognizes that he is doing an increased raka'ah during the raka'ah itself, then what he does, he sits 
Islam immediately, okay, and he makes the tashahud if he hasn't already made the tashahud. So here, for example, a person, he's praying Asr, and after making the tashahud, he forgets that it's a four raka salah. After making the tashahud, he gets up and he starts a fifth rakah. And during his standard or during the ruku, he realize, realizes that this is an extra rakah that he's doing. So what's upon him is to sit immediately without making takbir, to sit immediately. He doesn't make the takbir of al-intiqal, the takbir of moving. He sits immediately. And if he's already made the tashahud, he just makes two prostrations of uh, sujood sahwu and then he makes the salam. If he hadn't, for whatever reason, made the tashahud, the last tashahud, then he, in this situation, would do a tashahud before making the prostration and the taslim. The author, he says, was wasallam. As we mentioned, he makes the uh, prostrations and then he makes the two salams. The author, may Allah have mercy upon him, he goes on to say, If the person is an imam, and he's making this extra raka. He's falling into the situation of making an extra raka. And two people, they say to him, Subhanallah, thiqatan. Thiqatan means two trustworthy people. Now, at this point, you ask yourself a question, and that is, how does the person know that they are trustworthy? So the ulama, they explain, it could be that generally the people that pray behind the imam are regular, and the imam knows who they are. So by virtue of hearing there, the sound of their voices, he knows that, yes, these two are trustworthy. It's not that he has eyes in the back of his head. So in if two trustworthy people get his attention by making tasbih, but then this imam who's gone into an extra rakah, he doesn't take what they're saying. He doesn't pay heed to what they're saying. And he continues on in his salah with the extra fifth rakah. But at the same time, he's not sure in himself either. He's not sure, am I doing an extra or am I not doing an extra? So then this situation, the Imam's prayer now becomes invalid. Why? Because two people who were trustworthy behind him notified him by making tasbih. Secondly, he wasn't sure in of himself whether, uh, whether he is wrong or he is right. He was confused. Then in this situation, his salah becomes invalid. Now, going back to the phrase of the author before we move on, he said, If two trustworthy people make tasbih, some of the ulama, like Sheikh Mutlaq, Mutlaq Jasr, Hafidullah, they say that possibly the author, Al Hajjawi, may Allah have mercy upon him, he could have chosen a better phrase. And this is my question to you what, why, and what could have been the better phrase? that uh, Imam al-Hajjawi could have chosen here. And we're talking about the point where he says, If two people try to grab his attention by saying, SubhanAllah. Is there a better phrase that the author could have used rather than saying, if two people said to him, SubhanAllah. What other phrase could he have used? Question to yourselves. Could he have said, um, a trustworthy person rather than, trustworthy persons okay good point good point but uh, what we're pertaining to here the question is with regards to what the two trustworthy people say 
because the madhab holds it as a condition that there has to be two trustworthy people in order for him to rely upon them, not just one trustworthy person, two trustworthy okay. people. But my question is pertaining to the fact that he, both of them have to say subhanallah to attract the imam's attention. Could the imam have used a different phrase? Abdul Qadir. Could they have said, um, La hawla wa la quwwata illa billah? Okay, so they could say things like this, but actually what the ulama are referring to here, those who mentioned this point like Mutlaq Jasr, they say, well actually, if you think about it, it's not just men praying behind the imam, there's women also. So what is for the women to do is to clap, right? It's not just to make tasbih. Tasbih is for the men. So if the, if the men didn't pick up with the mistake, maybe the women would have picked up with the mistake. So instead of saying subhanallah, they would have clapped, which is what is upon them to do so. So the mutlaq jasr and others, they say it was better for him to have said, like it's mentioned in Al-Faru' ibn Muflih, to say wa in nabbahahu, that had two people caught his attention by not specifically mentioning the tasbih, because tasbih is specifically for men. And if women want to catch the imam's attention, they would clap. So this is what I was referring to here, as Shaykh Muqtalaq Jasr and others like Ibn Muflih in Al-Furu' they mentioned. However, Shaykh Abdul Salam al-Shawayr, in defense of uh, Imam al-Hajjawi's phrase, he said what the imam is doing here in writing the phrase in Sabbaha, that if two trustworthy people make uh, tasbih behind him by saying Subhanallah, he said this is why, because this is min bab dhikr al-aghlab, that here the author is mentioning that which most likely takes place or takes place most often which is that behind the imam men are praying so in most cases of mistake and trying to get the imam's attention what takes place is that the men they say subhanallah so this is why he mentioned in sabbaha طيب. so let me just read the phrase again that we are discussing what in sabbaha if two people say subhanallah and they are trustworthy and the Imam, he doesn't pay heed to what they're saying. So he continues in his extra rakah without paying heed to what they're saying. And he wasn't sure in of himself. The Imam's not sure, am I doing the right thing or am I doing the wrong thing? Okay, in terms of continuing. Then his salah would become invalid. Why? Because the ulama, like Ahmed Khalil, Sheikh Ahmed Khalil, he says that the salah is invalid. Why? Because a wajib is left off. What is the wajib? What is the obligation here? The obligation that it's upon the imam to return to what the fiqatan behind him are saying, to take heed of what those behind him are saying because he's unsure in of himself. By virtue of the fact that he's in, unsure in of himself, what he has to do is he has to rely upon what those behind him are saying, the fiqatan, and that is to leave the extra rakah that he is doing. Okay? So the salah becomes invalid because he left off the wajib of paying heed to what they were saying, and also he ended up praying an extra rakah. Sheikh uh, Ahmed uh, Amir Bahjat, he says that uh, if the Imam in this situation is certain in himself, then it doesn't matter how many people make tasbih behind him, say subhanallah behind him, if he's certain in, in of himself that the action that he is doing is the correct action, then he should continue on with that because yaqeen is not removed by uh, by doubt okay so what the thiq, yaqeen is greater than than sorry yaqeen the certainty that the imam is upon if he's certain is greater than uh, the assumption that those behind him know better okay 
So also the ulama, they mention that in this situation where the, the imam is uh, doing an extra raka and two people behind him grab his attention by saying subhanallah and they are trustworthy. In the situation with the imam, he's not sure in of himself that my action as an imam is correct getting into this raka that I'm doing. Yet he's not 100% sure at the same time whether those behind him are guiding him to the right action okay so whether he thinks they could be correct or they could be wrong in all situations because he himself is not sure then he has to follow what they are saying he has to act upon what they are saying which is to leave this raka they're grabbing his attention to leave this extra extra raka and even if he has dhan, is that he's thinking that it's more likely that uh, they are wrong Okay, so he's not 100% that they're wrong, but he's thinking that it's very likely that they are wrong. Even in this situation, the madhab says that he has to follow what they are indicating him to do because he, in of himself, is not 100% sure of his own action. The next statement that the author makes, may Allah have mercy upon him, he says, Now, in the situation where he got up and he made the extra rakah, and we said that there were two people behind him calling his attention and he was in a situation where he himself wasn't sure if he's doing the right thing then if he didn't refer back to what those two behind him were trying to get him to do which is to leave off the extra account then the salah becomes invalid now the author adds to this situation he says also anybody who follows the imam whilst knowing what the imam is doing so, for example, they follow the Imam, yet they know that he's increasing in a rakah. And at the same time, they know the Islamic ruling of this, which is that the salah is going to be invalid. So if they continue to follow him in the extra rakah with these two things, knowing what he's doing and knowing the ruling pertaining to this action, then their salah will also become invalid, as mentioned by Sheikh Ahmed ibn Hamad al-Bunais. Okay? Then the Imam says, La jahilan aw nasiyan. However, if those who followed the Imam in this extra rakah, they were jahil. They were either jahil, ignorant of whether this is an extra rakah or not, because maybe they didn't uh, realize, maybe they themselves were daydreaming or something, or they are ignorant of the ruling of what will happen if there's an extra rakah, and they end up following the Imam due to their ignorance or forgetfulness, then these people's salah will still be valid. Okay? And also the Imam, he says, Wala man And also the Salah would be valid in this situation with the Imam has gone to an extra rakah of those who are praying behind him, the Ma'mumin, who pray behind the Imam, who decide to break away from the Imam. So there's people behind the Imam that have realized that he's gone into a fifth rakah and he hasn't listened to anybody behind him making tasbih, saying subhanallah. So what we're going to do, we're going to make mufaraqah. And mufaraqa is two ways. One of the ways is that the people will sit and they won't follow the imam in the extra rakah. They will wait till he finishes the salah and they will complete the salah with him. Another way of making mufaraqa, which means separation from the imam, is that they will not continue with the imam in his extra. They will sit, they will complete the salah by themselves and they will make taslim. So mufaraqa is of the two ways that we mentioned. And if they do mafaraqa when the imam is continuing in this extra rakah, then their salah will not be invalidated. Taib. An issue we have to add here 
So the Imam in this situation, he's gone into a fifth rakah. If somebody is a masbuq, a masbuq is a term given to one who joins the salah after having missed one rakah or more. So if somebody is a masbuq and they join the Imam, and the Imam now is in this fifth rakah, but the masbuq who has joined the salah late, he's in the first rakah. The Imam is in the fifth rakah, and the masbuq who joined the salah late, he's in the first rakah. And this masbuq, he doesn't know that the Imam is in the fifth rakah. He comes to know later after the Imam makes uh, sajda to sahu. So he realizes that actually this rakah was an extra rakah. The question is, is this rakah now valid for this masbuq? Can this masbuq count this as his first rakah? In Rawdul Murbi', one of the famous explanations of this text that we are taking, Zadul Mustaqna, of Imam al-Bahuti, he said it's not allowed, he said it's the position of the madhab, but it's not allowed to consider it as a valid rakah for this masbuq. Why? They say because it's not going to be counted for the imam as being a correct rakah, because it's the fifth, therefore it cannot be counted for the follower, even if it's masbuq, as being uh, a correct rakah for him, the first rakah for him. So this is the official opinion of the madhab. Another opinion, as mentioned by Ibn Qudama al-Maqtasi rahimahullah ta'ala, is that the masbuq in this situation who doesn't know that this is the fifth rakah, he can take it as being his first rakah. Because if he doesn't take it as being his first rakah, he will end up having prayed five more rakaat. How? Because the one he's praying with the imam, okay, which is the fifth rakah for the imam, this one, according to the madhab's position, is not going to be valid. And then the masbuq, he has to make up four other rakat, which in total will mean that he prayed five rakat. Whereas if he takes this extra rakat as being valid for himself, as being the first rakat, then he only needs to make up three more rakat. And this is the correct opinion according to Ibn Qadama. But as I said, the official madhab opinion, as mentioned in um, like the likes of Imam al-Bahuti in Radul Murbi'a, is that the masbuq, cannot take this as being his first rakah, cannot take the fifth rakah as being his first rakah, and Allah knows best. The author, may Allah have mercy upon him, he says, وَعَمَلٌ مُسْتَكْثَرُونَ And now he's talking again about extra actions. He's saying if the person does extra actions, okay, and there are many, عَادَةً مِنْ غَيْرِ جِنْسِ يُبْتِلُهَا this person in his prayer, he's in a situation where he's doing extra actions, okay, but they are not from the type of actions that are done in the prayer. For example, he's fixing his clothes, he's fixing his gutra, he's taking a pen out of his pocket, or he's looking at the phone or something of that nature. Then these actions, if they are many, then the salah is going to be invalidated. And the ulama, they say, that the uh, the thing to return to for determining if there are many actions or not is the customary norms of the people. And another dhabit, another qualifying rule of knowing whether something is much or is it little, is the actions of the Prophet ﷺ, as mentioned by Sheikh Munais. He says, for example, the Prophet ﷺ, he's picking up of Umayyah bint Zainab, Umama bint Zainab, for example, uh, is an action which is not considered a lot because it didn't break the salah of the Prophet ﷺ, that he would pick her up and he would hold her whilst he's praying, then he would put her down again. And also the taking off his shoes in uh, in the salah, which he did 
then also this is uh, an action which is not considered a lot. So again, the author is saying that if a person does actions which are not from the Salah, and there are many, then this will break the Salah. Okay? And we said that the way to determine whether it breaks the Salah or not is that it's based upon earth. It's based upon the customary norms to decide whether these actions are many or are they not many. And another way of determining is to look into the actions of the Prophet and also the ulama, they mentioned that these actions in determining whether there are many that break the salah, they are actions that are not due to need. If they're due to need, then it's not going to break the salah. And also mutawalian, they are uh, mutawalian, okay? That they are consecutive. So for example, if somebody is praying and he's fixing something on his head, then a few minutes later, he starts to fix something on his throat. Then a few minutes later, he starts to do something in his pocket. So these are many actions, if they were all together consecutively, they would break the prayer. But because they are not consecutive, they don't break the prayer. Okay? So, what is the illa here of why many actions break the salah? Which rukan do these many actions take away from the salah? My question to you. If somebody is doing many actions, we're saying it breaks the salah. And the question is, many actions take a particular rukan away from the salah. Which rukan pillar is taken away from the salah if a person is doing many actions? Question to yourselves. It's being the tamani, the tranquility, and the, the calmness in the salah. Barakallahu feekum. Exactly. This is the one that is taken away, and thus it will cause the salah to be invalid, tuma'nina. Because as the brother mentioned, tranquility is something that we have to have in the salah. And we cannot make it something which is uh, not with concentration and something that doesn't resemble the, the Salah. So, for example, many a time you look at somebody and they're fidgeting so much, they're turning around left and right, they're gazing up into the air. The person wonders, is this person even praying? So in this situation, uh, we'd say that the person is not praying because there's not Tumma'nina there. And uh, that is correct. That is the correct answer. Okay. The author, he continues, may Allah have mercy upon him. He says, And if a person does actions which are not part of the salah, but they are few actions, they're not many, then it's not legislated to make sujood sahu here. My question to you is why? Why is it not legislated to make sujood sahu here when the person is doing actions which are not part of the salah, but they are not many? What is the reason why it's not legislated? To make sujudu the reason that it's not legislated to make sujudu sahu if the actions are few is because it was never reported from the Prophet sallallahu alaihi Sorry, somebody was willing to answer, and I jumped ahead. Abu Salam, may Allah reward you anyway for making the effort. But that is the answer that it's not reported from the Prophet sallallahu Though it's not far-fetched that this would have happened to the Prophet sallallahu and to the companions that they would have at times done some actions from the. Uh, from outside of the Salah in the Salah, though very little actions, okay? And also one of the reasons is that if this was to be legislated as something that has to be done for every little action that you do in the Salah, like just pulling your clothing, right? Then you have to make sujudu sahu, then this would cause great difficulty. It would cause mushakka, okay? So it's not legislated for a small amount of actions. The author, he continues, and he says, It 
if a person in the salah has a little bit of food or a little bit of drink forgetfully sahwan not amdan not purposefully then this doesn't break the salah why because the prophet sallallahu said in the hadith in ahmed and ibn majah inna allah ta'ala qad tajawaza an ummati al khata unisyan that verily allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has overlooked for my nation that which is a mistake khata or nisyan or that which is done forgetfully so if a person eats a little bit or drinks a little bit in the salah forgetfully uh, then this is overlooked and again what is a little is that which is considered a little bit in the earth of the people in the customary norms of the people of the people the author he says should be nor does it break the salah if a person was to take a bit of drink in the nafal salah on purpose so we said in the obligatory salah that if a person drinks a little or eats a little forgetfully then the salah is still valid and the author is saying here and also in the nafal salah if a person drinks a little bit on purpose then the salah is not invalidated right so this action from which is outside of the actions of the salah does it invalidate why because some of the companions عنهم, like ibn Zubayr and Sa'id ibn Jubayr it was narrated that they would drink a little bit in the nafal salah and the reason they would drink a little bit in the nafal salah if it's authentic that it was that is related from them is that because when they pray nafal salah it's not like our nafal salah their qiyam and layl etc would be like hours upon hours of, of recitation of quran and naturally their throats would become uh, dry etc so they would take a little bit of uh, water uh, in the nafal salah Another narration from the Madhab, another narration of Ahmed, is that the nafal is like the fard. It's the same as the fard, that it's not allowed. The only time it would be overlooked is if that it was done forgetfully, a little bit. Okay? So if anybody does anything which is intentional in terms of eating or drinking, whether it be in the nafal salah or in the fard salah, then the salah is going to be valid according to the second opinion in the Madhab. And this is also the uh, madhab of the majority of the ulama. The author, may Allah have mercy upon him, he says, وَإِنْ أَتَى بِقَوْلٍ مَشْرُوءٍ فِي غَيْرِ مَوْضِئِهِ If a person comes with a legislated statement, what I mean here by legislated statement is that it's from the legislated statements of the salah, like reciting tasbih, saying subhanallah, subhanahu rabbi al-azim, or it's uh, the Fatiha, or it's the Tashahud, anything which is legislated as a qawl, as a statement in the Salah. So if he comes with it, but he puts it in the wrong place, like Qira'atin fi sujood, like reciting Qur'an in sujood, waqud or while sitting, wa tashahud fi qiyam, or making the Tashahud at tahiyatulillah while standing up, then all of these situations, the Salah is still valid, because these statements are originally from the Salah. Okay, they legislated in the salah. So the ulama they give example. They say, for example, if you in your sujood instead of saying Subhana Rabbi Al-Ala, you said Subhana Rabbi Al-Azim, which is a legislated statement from the salah, but it's put in the wrong place, then your salah is valid, and it's valid even if you did it amdan, even if you did it on purpose, your salah will still be valid. Okay, as mentioned by Hamad Al-Hamad in his explanation of uh, Zad Hafidhullah Taala. 
But here there's an important qaid, there's an important restriction that has to be borne in mind. So I'm talking about that in the salah, there are statements, like, right? And if you were to bring a statement in the wrong place, then your salah is still valid, whether you did it intentionally or unintentionally. However, there's an important point, an important qaid, an important restriction that has to be mentioned. What can that restriction be? There's something that has to be in place to qualify our statement properly, the previous statement that I've made. Can anybody think what it might be? Okay, طيب. so the qaid, the restriction that has to be put in place here, I'm saying that if you were to mention a statement from the salah, but you mention it in the wrong place, then your salah is still valid, whether that's done unintentionally or even intentionally. The qaid, the restriction, as mentioned by Sheikh Munais, is that that's bearing in mind that the dhikr wajib has been said. So for example, if I ended up saying uh, in the ruku, subhana rabbi al-azim, okay, instead of saying that, I said subhana rabbi al-a'la, then my salah, okay, uh, actually no, that the dhikr wajib must have been said. No, let's leave this qaid. Let's leave this qaid because it's something which causes a bit of doubt in my mind. So anyway, going back to what the author said, the author, he said that if the uh, statements of the salah are said in the wrong place, whether in, intentionally or unintentionally, then the salah is still valid. So if you find yourself in the salah that you're saying in the sujood, subhana rabbi al-azim, instead of subhana rabbi al-a'la, then your salah is still valid. The author, he says, وَقِرَأَةِ سُورَةٍ فِي الْأَخِيرَةٍ لَمْ تَبْطُولٍ And if you were to re uh, recite uh, in the last two raka'at a surah after al-fatiha then your salah is not invalidated as we know the sunnah of the prophet sallallahu in the salah where it's four raka'at the last two raka'at the prophet sallallahu never used to recite anything after surah al-fatiha okay so if a person does do that then his salah is not broken his salah is valid if he if he recites after surah al-fatiha in the last two raka'at of a salah which is of four units, then his salah is still valid. However, we should be strict to try to learn how the Prophet prayed and to pray like he did because he said, Pray like you have seen me pray. And this is a command. The author, may Allah have mercy upon him, he said, So in these situations that we mentioned, where the person ended up saying dhikr statements of the salah in the wrong place, or he recited a surah after Fatiha uh, in the last Turaqa'at, then sujood al-sahwu is not upon the person, it's not obligatory. However, it's mustahab, it's recommended that the person still do it. Because one of the wisdoms of doing sujood al-sahwu is to stress out the shaitan. Because shaitan, he comes to us and he tries to break our salah. So it's beautiful that Allah has legislated that every time he comes to us to try to destroy our salah, we do something which hurts him, which is that we add two prostrations in the salah, sujood al-sahwa. Okay, so when he makes us forget something in the salah, which is an integral part of it, then we stress him out by doing two prostrations. alhamd. And the Prophet sallallahu he said, the author, rahimullah, he said, وَإِن سَلَّمَا قَبْلَ إِتْمَامِهَا عَمْدًا بَطَلَتْ So now the author, he's talking about uh, after having talking about extra situations where somebody does extra actions, first he spoke about somebody who did extra raka'at, okay, extra units. Then he spoke about somebody who did, uh, you know, extra actions which were not from the salah itself. 
and then he spoke about doing extra statements from the salah itself right now he's moving on to another type where you need to do the sahu is if the salah is incomplete so he says if a person makes taslim without having completed the salah on purpose then his salah of course is going to be invalid why because this person he's playing around with the salah to break your salah before having completed it is a major sin unless it's a real emergency situation or other reasons which are valid to have done so the author he says however if the person finished his prayer without having completed it due to forgetfulness due to forgetfulness then in this situation the person if he remembers soon after and soon after is again going back to the customary norm let's say a few minutes he remembers soon after having made the slim that i haven't finished my salah i've got something that i need to complete in there from the arkan of the salah then he goes back into salah without making takbirat al-ihram and he completes the salah and then he makes the sajud al-sahu so he makes up the salah what he missed from it he makes the taslim then he makes the sajdatain, the two prostrations, and then again he makes taslim. The author says, فَإِن طَالَ الْفَصْلُ أَوْ تَكَلَّمَ لِغَيْرِ مَصْلَحْتِهَا بَطَلَتْ However, in the situation where the person has something to make up from his salah, he finished his salah before having completed it, if a long time has passed, okay, then the salah becomes invalid, and he has to start again from the beginning. Or, if he's speaking and the speech that he's speaking is not pertaining to the benefit of the salah then the salah is also invalidated if it's salah like for example someone comes to him if it's speech like for example someone comes to him and says i saw you praying and i noticed that you have missed out something in your salah and then i say to the person are you sure are you really sure uh, what exactly did i miss out from what you saw so this is speech which is little and it's pertaining to the benefit of the salah. Maslahat, maslahatiha. Okay. If it's uh, pertaining to the benefit of the salah, then it doesn't break the salah. Okay. So the author he said, if it's the long time passes from when the person realizes that there's uh, something to be made up in the salah, then the salah is going to be invel- invalidated. Or he speaks with speech that is not beneficial or is not of benefit for the prayer. Okay, then also the salah will be invalid. A point to mention here, as mentioned by Ahmed Khalil, Sheikh Ahmed Khalil, is that the madhab says that when the person wants to make up what he's missed from the salah, he has to face the qibla, he has to be sitting, then he says, Allahu Akbar, not takbirat al-ihram, but takbirat al-intiqal. He's in a sitting position and then he gets up and he carries, his, uh, carries on the salah from that position, making up that which was missed out. The author he says So how the salah was broken due to the fact that there was a long gap after the person remembered or due to the fact that the person is speaking uh, speech which is not pertaining to the maslaha to the benefit of the salah this breaks the salah likewise this also Likewise if a person speaks in the middle of the salah whilst performing the salah whether a little bit or a lot whether intentional or unintentional, 
then it breaks the salah. Kalamihi fasulbiha. Why? Because it's Sahih Muslim. The Prophet sallallahu said from the hadith from Muawiyah ibn Hakim, in the salah, la yuslahu fiha shay'un min kalamin nas. That verily this prayer, nothing from the speech of mankind is valid in the salah, meaning the salah will become invalid if you speak. Tayyib. Now, regarding this point, the author, Al-Hijawi, may Allah have mercy upon him, he says, however, if the person is praying and he speaks something which is of benefit to the salah whilst he's praying, and it's a tiny bit, it's a little bit, then this doesn't break the prayer. Okay, if it's a little bit and it's beneficial to the salah. However, this goes against the official opinion of the madhab, as mentioned by Sheikh Mutlaq al and others, that any type of speech, as we mentioned, whether it's little or a lot, intentional or unintentional, then this breaks the salah. The author, he says, If you laugh in the prayer, you're aware though, you're a bit strange, and you start laughing in the prayer, then this is also going to break your prayer. If you laugh to the extent that a sound comes out of your mouth, and somebody next to you can hear you, then your salah is going to be invalidated. However, barely smiling in the salah, it doesn't break your salah. However, it's something that we should try very hard to avoid. The author, he says, And if the person in the salah, he blows. Okay? He blows in the salah. Then this is something which also will invalidate the salah if it brings about harfan. Harfan means that when he blows, he creates a sound whereby two letters of the Arabic language are brought out. Okay? Like, oof, he blows like that. Okay, so the alif and the further is uh, brought from the Arabic language. This would break his salah. This is if the blowing is without need. Maybe he's got some harmful insect nearby him, and in order for him to carry on praying, especially a lot of people are chicken, they see a small ant, they have a panic attack. So you want to blow the ant away then uh, this is fine and it's allowed for you to do so as well as long as it's not too much or the person he starts to uh, he starts to wail he starts to cry loudly uh, from other than the fear of Allah in the salah so it could be that he's praying and he's heard some bad news like such and such from your loved ones may Allah protect us all has died so in this situation, the person is affected and he starts to cry. So this is not from the khashi of Allah. This is not from the fear of Allah, not from the moving verses that he's reciting. It's not due to that. It's due to an external news or an external thought that he had. So he starts to cry. And again, uh, you know, his, his voice is raised and uh, two letters from the Arabic language come out. Then his salah is invalid. However, if it's for the khashi of Allah, if it's for the fear of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, then this won't break his salah, even if his voice is raised. Why? Because in Abi Dawood, it's narrated by one of the companions, they said, رَأَيْتُ رَسُولُ اللَّهِ صَلَّى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمْ يُصَلِّ وَفِي صَدْرِهِ عَزِيزٌ كَأَزِيزٍ لِرْحْمِرْجَلٍ فِي الْمِنَ الْبُكَاءِ That it's narrated that the Prophet وسلم, that when he would pray at times, that he would make a, a sound, I forget the English term for it, he would make a sound, uh, from crying like the sound that is made from a boiling pot of water okay so he would make that 
uh, type of whining sound when crying, okay, uh, that comes from the chest, uh, but he was crying due to the fear of Allah Azawajal, then this is something which is overlooked, okay, this is something which is overlooked uh, with regards to crying. The author, he says, oh, or the person, he makes the sound from his throat when you clear your throat, <coughs> this sound, okay, without need, without due to need, and then two letters from the Arabic language come out, uh, then the person's salah is going to be invalidated. So from the beginning, the author said, So if the person did any of these things, he blew or he cried from other than the fear of Allah Azawajal, or he made a clearing of his throat, okay, not due to need, and then two letters, they were formed whilst he was doing these things, then the salah is going to be invalidated. Why do they say two letters? Does anyone know why they put the restriction there that the salah will be invalidated if two letters come out? Like I said to you, for example, if a person is blowing and from the blowing, oof, came out, alif, so then the salah will be invalidated. Why two letters is given as the wabit, the, uh, the rule? Does anybody know? Atif. Is it because it forms a word, I guess? Very close, very good. Ahsant, barakallahu feek. Because in the Arabic language, the least that forms a word, okay, like ab is alif ba, um alif meme, okay? So the least that forms a word in the Arabic language is uh, two letters, that is the least of speech. So if that is formed from these things that are done by the mouth, then that breaks the salah. Another opinion in the madhab pertaining to the crying is that if the person cries, due to other than the khashi of Allah Azawajal, due to other than the um, the fear of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, if he cries be because he's overcome with crying and he can't control himself, then this doesn't break the salah because he's not doing this intentionally. And this is the opinion of Ibn Qadama. This is a second opinion in the method on this issue. Okay? Tayyib. Here, the author is going to talk about things uh, further on which are left out from the salah. He says, The author, he says, whoever leaves a pillar from the salah and he remembers after having started reciting in the next raka'ah, then the, then the raka'ah before, whereupon he had left a rukan, that salah, that ruk, that raka is now going to be treated as being void. However, if the person remembers the leaving out of the rukan before he gets to the next raka where he starts to recite Surah Al-Fatiha, then he goes back to that rukan that he's left out and he corrects the salah. He brings that rukan and he continues thereon. He brings it and that which is after it. Okay. So some points to make this clear. So if what is left out is takbirat al-ihram, the first takbirah, then the salah is going to be invalid, okay? Because the only way to uh, correct that is to start the salah again. If the takbirat al-ihram is not there, then the person has to start the salah again. If it's other than that, like for example, a person leaves out uh, a sajda, he's in the sujood and he leaves out, let's say, the first 
sajda. He does only the second sajda. He only does one sajda. Then he gets up and he's about to start his next, next rakah. He's standing. Okay? So before he starts Surah Al-Fatiha, he remembers that he left out a rukan, which is one of the sujood. So what he has to do is immediately, without saying Allahu Akbar, he goes back into the sujood, does the sujood which he left out, the sajda, and carries on the salah from there. Okay? And then his salah will be fine. And he makes the sujood of sahur uh, before the salah, before making taslim. But if in this situation he left out a sajda and he only realized after starting Surah Al-Fatiha of the next rak'ah, okay, then he's not allowed to go back to that rukan that was missed. Why? Because now he started into another rukan, okay, which is the Qira'at Al-Fatiha. So again, uh, a person has left out a sujood in, uh, in, in the rak'ah and he remembers once he's got to Surah Al-Fatiha of the next rak'ah, he's not allowed to go back. But if he remembers before getting to Surah Al-Fatiha, he goes back to that sujood, does it and continues thereon and the salah will be normal as long as he does the, does the sujood al-sahu. Okay, another opinion in the madhab is that the person can correct his mistake, and this is held by Ibn Taymiyyah and others, he can correct the mistake that was left out as long as he, as he doesn't get back to the same position of that mistake in the next rakah. So in the example I gave, if he le- where he left out one of the sajda, in the second opinion, which is Ibn Taymiyyah's from the madhab, he's allowed to correct his mistake as long as he doesn't get to the second sajda position in the next rakah. If he remembered in the ruku of the next rakah, he can correct his mistake. If he remembered uh, at the point of making the first sajda in the next rakah, he can correct his mistake. Okay, so it's different to what the author's opinion is. The author's opinion, and which is the official opinion of the madhab, is that if you get to the point of reciting Surah Al-Fatiha, you cannot go back and correct the mistake of the left out rukan, Rather, you have to consider that that rukan is now uh, invalidated, that rakah is invalid, and the rakah that you are reciting now from Surah Al-Fatiha onwards will take its place. The author, may Allah have mercy upon him, he says, وَإِنْ عَلِمَ بَعْدَ سَلَامَ If the person recognizes and remembers that he has left out a rukan, one of the pillars, and he only remembers after the salam, after having made taslim, then in this situation, it's not enough just to go back and to complete the rukan. Rather, he has to go back, complete the rukan, but in the sense of he has to do a whole rakah where that rukan was left out. So he has to start from the recitation of Surah Al-Fatiha and onwards to wherever where that rukan was left out. And then he has to uh, make the tashahud, then the sujood, the sahu, then the salam. Okay? So it's not just a rukun that has to be completed. If he remembers after uh, the taslim, he has to go back and do a whole rakah. The author, he's now going to give an example of what happens when you leave out a wajib. We gave the examples or the situation of what happens when you leave out a rakah or a rukun or a pillar. Now he's going to speak pertaining to the wajib. <clears throat> he says, وَإِن نَسِيَ تَشَهُدْ الأول والنهضة لازمه رجوع. 
He said, if the person leaves out the first tashahud, the first attahayatu, and we know that this is a wajib, and the person, he stands up from this tashahud, he's forgotten the tashahud, the first one, and he stands up to go to the third raka. Upon standing up, if he remembers, okay, he has to go back. He has to go back and complete this tashahud. Tayyib. So let me correct that statement. So the person has left the tashahud al-awwal. He's standing up. In this duration of him standing up, as long as he hasn't completely stood up, finished the act of standing up, he has to go back. If he's remembered in this duration, he has to go back and come with the tashahud al-awwal. Complete the tashahud al-awwal. ما لم ينتصب قائما okay as long as he hasn't completely stood up فإن استتم قائما كريها رجوعه but if he stands up completely at this situation at this point it's disliked for him to go back it's not forbidden it's disliked and the reason he can go back is because the قيام isn't a ركن مقصود isn't a ركن that is intended in of itself the Qiyam from the Tashahad al-Awwal is a Rukun which is intended for Surah al-Fatiha. You're standing up as a Rukun in order to pray the next Rukun which is Surah al-Fatiha. So if the person has stood up but he hasn't started Surah al-Fatiha, it's still allowed for him to go back to the Wajib which is the Tashahad al-Awwal and complete it, though it's disliked. Okay? Then the author says, وَإِن لَمْ يَنْتَصِبْ لَزِمَهُ رُجُوءُ And if he hasn't stood up completely, he has to go back. Sheikh Mutlaq Jasal and others, they said this is tikrar from the Mu'allaf. This is a repetition from the author. So we'll ignore this part. And if the person, he has now stood up completely and started reciting Surah Al-Fatiha, it's not allowed for him to go back to complete the wajib which was left out, which was the tashahud al-awwal. Why? Because now he's in a ruqan. He's in the, uh, a correct rukun, which is reciting Surah Al-Fatiha. He's not allowed to go back, leave the rukun for a wajib, which was the tashahud al-awwal. وَعَلَيْهِ sajud lil And in all of these situations, he has to make sajud al-sahur. Okay? Whether he uh, remembered before he stood up completely and went back, okay, to complete the tashahud, he still has to make the sajud al-sahur. Or whether he stood up completely without reciting Surah Al-Fatiha, he still has to go back and um, he still has to make the sujood al-sahu uh, before the end of the salah. Tayyib. The author, he says, and, and this example that the author gave of leaving off a wajib of the tashahud al-awwal applies to all the other wajibat, okay? That if you have left the wajib and you've completely gone now to the next rukun, you cannot go back to the wajib. You could only do it in between the two. The author, he says, whoever had doubt, shak, what is shak? A shak is is you're not sure of which two of the situations actually took place. In your mind, it's 50-50 that either one of them could have taken place. So it's doubt in that sense. So man fi Whoever has a doubt pertaining to the number of the raka'at, then he should base it upon the least number. Okay? Before we proceed, a side point, 
which is that the ulama, they say shak, doubt, which I mentioned to you, 50-50, is not given heed to in three situations. The first of these situations, if these are just whisperings, it happens to the person regularly, right? If it's just whisperings, this is number one. Number two, if it happens regularly to a person, then also in this situation, the person shouldn't give uh, heed to these whisperings. And also, if the doubt comes after the act of worship has been finished, like you've prayed the salah, and then your brain starts to whisper to you, did I do this, did I do that? Then you just ignore that in totality, unless you are absolutely sure that something wrong and you know what it was took place in the salah. Okay? So the author, he says, whoever has doubt in the number of raka'at that was prayed, he should act upon the least. Okay? He should act upon the least. So a person is confused. Did he pray three raka'at or did he pray four raka'at? Then what he has to do, he has to act upon yaqeen, and yaqeen is to take the least number. So he says to himself, that I'm doubtful, is this my fourth rakah or is it my third rakah? I'm going to make it my third rakah. And then he has to make the sujood sahu before he makes the salam. Why? Because in the hadith of Abi Sa'id al-Khudri, in Sahih Muslim, the Prophet sallallahu said, If a person has doubt in his prayer and he doesn't know how much he prayed, three or four, then let him leave alone the shak, let him leave alone the doubt. And let him act upon that which he is sure, that which he is certain upon. As certain is the lower number. And then he will make the two prostrations of forgetfulness before he makes the salam at the end of the salah. So in all situations of doubt, the person acts upon yaqeen. However, if the person is an imam, he doesn't have to do this. He can make what is known tahari and act upon what is known as ghalabatul dhan. Ghalabatul dhan is that we have yaqeen, which is 100%. We have shak, which is 50%. Then we have levels in between that. We have dhan, which is more than 50%. Let's say 60 to 70%. And the, then we have ghalabatul dhan, which is the most likely scenario. So it's not 100%. It's somewhere, let's say, around 80%. He's very sure, but he's not 100% sure. So if the imam has a conclusion in his mind that he's very sure about, he's allowed to act upon that. Why is he allowed to act upon that? Because if he's wrong, then those behind him will make the speedy and correct him, hopefully. However, if the imam acts upon this ghalabat al then he has to make sajood al-sahu after the taslim. Okay, not before the taslim. So something which we'll mention again and again, one of the rules of the madhab is that all of the prostrations of sajood al-sahu are to be done before the taslim, except in two cases. And these two cases, they're to be done after the taslim. If a person has forgotten more than a raka or more from the salah, then the sajood al-sahu is done after the taslim. Or if the case of the imam, he acts upon what is ghalab al-dhan, what is the most likely scenario, if he acts upon this, then also he makes the sajood al-sahu after the taslim. Otherwise, all of the prostrations are to be done preferably before the uh, taslim. The author, he says, well, in shak, uh, I know you're going to have to go back to the, uh, the, the video and watch it a few times. It's normal. This is quite a complicated subject. If the person has doubt in leaving off a, a pillar from the salah, then he has to consider that he has left off that pillar of the salah. So if he's in sujood and he doubts that, have I done ruku or have I not done ruku, then he has to take it 
as though he, it is uh, it is that he has left off the ruku, he goes back to the ruku and he carries on from there. Okay, so in shakka fi tarki ruknin and this is obviously for the one who is not affected uh, normally by whisperings. And one of the best ways to remove yourself uh, with whisperings is knowledge. The more you study how to do your salah, then these whisperings they can't come and try to confuse you. So the author says, whoever has doubt as to whether or not he left off a pillar from the salah, then he has to go back and he has to act upon as though he has left off that pillar. However, with regards to the uh, obligatory actions, the wajibat, if he doubts if he left something off, he doesn't have to act upon uh, that doubt. Okay, then there's no uh, action there. Or if the person doubts, have I done an increase or not in the salah, an increase, then there's no sujood sahu here. So the person is having a doubt whether he's prayed an extra rak'ah or not, then in this situation, he doesn't. Because the asal is adam al-ziyadah. Because the foundation of the situation, the, the origin of the affair, is that he didn't make a uh, increase okay and this is the yaqeen and the yaqeen is not removed due to a doubt so increases if you're doubtful about the increase did i do it did i not then you don't have to act upon it okay however sheikh muhammad uh in his explanation of this book he says unless the shak is at the time of the act of worship so you end the ruku for example you end the ruku for example let's say you're in the uh, qiyam for example in the raka before going to ruku and you're saying to yourself is this my first raka or is this my second raka? so in this situation now that you've had a doubt and you're not certain as to what going what's going on or you're in the ruku and you're doubting is this my first ruku or second ruku you're having a doubt at the time of performing the actual rukan itself then here there's something that has to be done what has to be done here you have to do sujood as why do you have to do sujood al-sahu in the situation where you're having doubt of an increase at the time of the rukan itself? It's because now, because he's doing the act of worship, a part of the worship, in a state of confusion, in a state of not being 100% sure. So we said that the principle is that if you do a ziyadah, and you're doubtful about it, you leave it, you don't you don't pay any attention to it, okay? If you're doubtful, have I done a ziyadah or not? However, if you're at the actual point where you're doing the rukun, where you're doing the ruku or the qiyam, and you're thinking, is this an extra qiyam? Is this an extra ruku? Then in this situation, you're going to have to do uh, um, a, a sahu for it at the end of the salah, because you did part of your worship without being 100% certain, okay? The author, may Allah mercy upon him, he says, And this one drives people crazy. He said that there's no sujood upon the uh, upon the ma'mum, upon the one who is following, unless it's a sujood for following the imam. Okay? So if you're ma'mum, and you have caught the salah completely with your imam, then there's no sajood sahwa upon you, no matter how many mistakes you make. So the imam, for example, he says, Allahu Akbar, right? And the Allahu Akbar is to go into ruku. 
and you being a dummy, you went straight into sujood. Okay, so you quickly realize your mistake. You get you got up. There's no sujood sahul for for you here. The guy next to you may slap you after the salah, but there's no sujood sahul for you, right? The reason being because you started the prayer with the imam. Okay, you're the ma'mum, so the imam will carry all of your mistakes. However, now here comes other situations. If you're a musbuk, and the musbuk we said is that the one who misses out a rakah or more, then there's other rulings for you. If you are the musbuk and the imam, he makes sujood sahu, you have to follow him in that mistake, in that sujood sahu, whether you prayed the mistake with him or the mistake was made in the rakah which you missed. Okay? So because you're masbuk and the imam he makes sujood sahu, you have to follow it regardless whether you were uh, observant, whether you were there for that mistake or you weren't there for that mistake. You still follow the imam. If you're the masbuk and the imam he makes sujood after the taslim, right? You still have to follow the imam and make sujood with him, sahu, and then you get back up and you continue your salah as normal. Okay? So you're masbuk. And the Imam, he's made mistakes, but he prostrates after the Taslim. So in this situation, you have to prostrate with him, but then you still have to get back up and complete your Salah as normal. Because some of the ulama, they say you don't follow him in the Sajjud al-Sahu, which is after the Taslim, if you are a Masbuk. If you're a Masbuk, and you make a mistake, either in that which is prayed with the Imam, okay? either in the three rak'ah out of the four that you pray with the imam because you missed one rak'ah or more. So you make a mistake in that part which you pray with the imam, okay? Or you make a mistake in that which you are making up by yourself, which was not prayed with the imam. You have to make sajjud al-sahu for those mistakes, okay? The author, he says, وَسَجُودُ السَّهُوِ لِمَا يَبْتُلُ عَمْدُهُ وَاجِبُ سَجُودُ السَّهُوِ for that which uh, if the action was done on purpose, it would cause the salah to be invalid. Then sujood sahu for this is wajib. Okay, like for example, in the dhikr of sujood, if you intentionally left it out, okay, then this was it's a wajib. It would cause your salah to be invalid. So that which you do intentionally and it causes the salah to be invalid. Here, if you do it unintentionally. It means you must do sujood sahu. So, for example, if somebody intentionally was to leave out the dhikr of sujood, it would break his salah. Therefore, on this side, if you were to do it unintentionally, it means it's an obligation upon you to do sujood sahu. It's not just recommended, it's obligatory. Some important points before we continue, and these points bring a lot of ease and benefit. The madhab, the Hamli madhab, holds that all of the sujood sahu, whether they are be, to be done before the salah, or after the salah, they can be done in any position. You can do all of your sujood sahu before the taslim, or you can do all of them after the taslim. Generally, people say to do all of them before the taslim is the easier one, especially if, if you are an imam. Okay? So the madhab holds that you can do them in any position, right? Whether to do it after or before, this is based on preference. This is afdaliya, preference. That is better, better to do it. Uh, when you're supposed to do it before or better to do it when you're supposed to do it afterwards however if you do that which is supposed to be done after before or before or after there's no problem whatsoever okay so just to repeat the madhab's position with regards to sujood sahu is that all of the sujood sahu should be done before the taslim except in two situations 
Two situations is preferred to do it after the taslim, and that is if you have left out a rakah or more, or if the imam he acts upon what we described as ghalabat al-dhan, that the most likely scenario, that which is close to being yaqeen, but it's not yaqeen. Okay, if he acts upon that, then it's also his his uh, sajjud sahu is recommended to be done after the taslim. But the point I was making in the madhab that you could do that in either way, it's not going to affect your salah. And in fact, Sheikh Ahmed Bahjat, he said that whether you were to do all of your sajjud sahwa, sahwa before, the taslim or after the taslim, none of the madhahib say that your salah is going to be invalid. Yani all of the madhahib will allow that your salah is valid, whether you've done your sujood before the taslim or you did it after the taslim. And there's ijma on this from some of the great imams like Imam Qadi Iyad and Al-Mawirdi, okay, Al-Mawirdi. For example, they brought ijma, consensus upon this issue that you can do your sujood sahu before the taslim or after the taslim. And that makes it much easier for many people. The author, he says, Now, if you were to leave out the sajood sahu which is wajib upon you, and it's better, it's preferred to do it before the taslim, before you make salam, if you were to leave this out, then your salah becomes invalid. What does he mean here? Sheikh Muhammad Bajabir, he says that what this means is that that wajib sajood, it's wajib upon you to do to do this sajood sahu for a mistake that you made pertaining to the uh, pillars or the wajibat uh, and you intend not to do it before the taslim nor do you intend to do it after the taslim then this is going to invalidate your salah why because now you left out something which is connected to to the salah so what is connected to the salah connected to the salah is this sajood asahu this sajood asahu for correcting a mistake in your salah which is supposed to be done or recommend it to be done before the taslim, it's still within the salah, right? You haven't left the salah by making taslim. So therefore you are leaving out something which is a wajib connected still within the salah. So if you're not intending it to do it at that point, nor are you intending to do it after the taslim, then this is what he refers to being that leaving and out will cause the salah to be broken. The author, he says, وَإِنَّسْيَا وَسَلَّمَا سَجَدَ إِنْ قَرْوَ زَمْنَهُ if the person forgets to do the sajjud sahu, whether it be one that he's supposed to do before the taslim or after the taslim, he forgets to do it. If the time that has passed is a little amount of time, then he goes back and he makes it up. He does the sajjud sahu. If a lot of time has passed, then he doesn't have to make it up. Because the sajjud sahu is a jabir for the salah, is a correction for the salah. Wal al-jabir la yujbar. Okay? The uh, the thing, the sujood sahu, which is correction for the salah, there is no uh, sujood sahu for having forgotten that. Okay, so again, the author is saying that if you forget and you have made the taslim with map without making the sujood sahu that you were supposed to make, and a little bit of time passed, then you go back and you correct it. Well, if a lot of time passed, then it's not upon you, your salah is valid. Okay, now if a person makes a lot of mistakes that require sujood sahu then it doesn't matter, then he only has to make one sujood sahu However, if he makes mistakes which require the sujood sahu to be done before the salah, it's another mistake which requires the sujood sahu to be done after the salam. Now it is a mixture of rules. Sujood is required before the salam and sujood is required after the salam. Here, the ruling is given to 
the sujood before the salam. Meaning that if you find yourself in a situation with many sujood sahu to be made, some should be after, some should be before, you make the sujood sahu one set of prostrations before the taslim. And what are you supposed to say in the sujood sahu? What you're supposed to say is that what you would say in the normal salah, which is the normal subhana rabbi al-a'la and the rabbi ghfili and any other sunnah dua that you would want to say. And this is what we have to say on this topic. We ask Allah that it was correct. Anything that was correct was from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala as a ni'mah. Shortcomings, mistakes were for myself and shaitan. And uh, of course, you're going to go back and review because there's much in this topic. And uh, if you have any questions now, then feel free. Otherwise, you can send them on the FIP group or even you can send them to me if they are pertinent to the topic. So you can send them to me on my personal WhatsApp number. Feel free if you have any questions, inshallah.